Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Guadalajara, Ancho Reyes, Montalobos, the UK, and so much more. It is my pleasure to finally bring this great chat with the prestigious and lauded Mr. Dr. Yvonne Saldana, the author of The Anatomy of Mezcal, the co-creator of Ancho Reyes and Montalobos Mezcal. We talk about his journey as he was here in Austin teaching a class, talking about innovation talking about creativity heritage tradition and his deep deep passion for agave great to sit down with him sip some mezcal on that lovely porch at las perlas and talk about life with this deeply pensive deeply intelligent man who has the future of mezcal and the future of agave always on his mind so without further ado i hope you guys enjoy this great chat with the dr ivan saldana We had Montelobos, that is really my most close baby, but yeah. there's also Ancho Reyes. And uh, we, for first time, we formalized that we are not only Montelobos and Ancho, but we are something else that can bring the, the diversity and extraordinary uh, flavors right. and biology of Mexico into spirit. So we created Casalumbre. Do you, oh, Casalumbre. Okay, Casalumbre, okay. which is kind of the umbrella um, company now that holds... The, the new ideas and the new projects and existing ones. The like incubator? It's something like that, yeah. yes. It's an exploratory platform to discover what we could, how and what could be incredible to yeah. bring into the world of alcohol from Mexican origin. So, so there's a lot of things going on right now in the lab, in research and, yeah. and development and, and new, new products will come eventually. I'm very excited from, about that. We're talking, Mexico. we'll keep it, you know, mum's the word, but we talked about some stuff. It sounds really, really exciting yes. that will come out. And for the brand, for Montelobos, was the year in which we, uh, I finally was able to bring other varieties of agaves in the right way. As yeah. we always commit to, we never wanted to bring wild agaves uh, varieties, but cultivated ones. Right, so right. Uh, I had the chance two years and a half ago to meet Aaron Alba, uh, a, a visionary, a guy from a tiny little town in, in Puebla who has been planting different varieties of agaves there. Uh, so we, we built an entire new distillery there That's when amazing. we discovered these plantations of tobalas and, and other plants. And, uh, well, last year, finally, we materialized that into Montelobos Tobala. We launched in Mexico. Yeah. We also launched a, a, a third Montelobos that is an ensemble, uh, a mix of well, different that's so, so let's treat these children, again, the yeah. bottles in front of us, like chapters. Yes, okay. I like that. So the first thing, though, is, is we kind of, and we'll talk about Guadalajara, where you, where you grew up in a moment, but I think of you, you know, you're a decorated scholar. You're okay. an academic erudite. Right? This is a really, really brilliant guy. You have a massive resume. I always could consider the scholarly thinking chemist guys to not always be the most creative. Right? They're thinking analytically, but they, ne- they couldn't paint a picture necessarily. But for you, you seem like this interesting hybrid of both 
a creative and attentive mind, but yet a deeply analytical scientist. Do you find that you're both of those things? I absolutely. I mean, I, I love what you're mentioning because no, no, it's uncommon that they go or they like to learn more about how I perceive or how I enjoy or which skills I actually yeah. use in my work. But I totally agree. I mean, I, I spent a lot of years in formal academia. Yeah. Um, I did research, write papers. Uh, the teaching part was amazing. And, and I mean, a lot of that I enjoyed, but I also felt sometimes a little bit trapped because the creative and the, con the context of what is important in that research, in that discovery, sometimes were very arid between the, between the academic world, like academics right, talking yeah. to, to, to other uh, uh, people in the academia. It's a bubble, isn't it? It's a bubble. And, and suddenly, to dedicate my energy and my passion to the spirit world allows me to, keep, to continue having this rational thinking and, yeah. to, and to exercise my mind with, uh, with a lot of, of very technical problems that I love, but at the same time, to have a different um, listener, yeah. uh, to, to have the opportunity to be more creative, more free, with, came out, I mean, go out of the box and, and, and also deal with the, with the part that cannot really be quantified or like the flavors of mezcal. There's a dimension You're in right. mezcal that you cannot rationalize because goes far beyond what analytical skills can actually achieve. It is in achieve. opposition to science. Exactly. Right? It's almost like antimatter. It's emotions. These things you cannot quantify. Yes. It's exactly. love. Mm. Because love you can never prove, but you know it's there and you can taste it and you can smell it and you can see it. It's strange. But that, but, so for me, the, the fact that you're able to embrace both of those sides makes you pretty well. I'm kind of intimidated right now. You're very well. No, but what, what I would say, what has been really fascinating through is that you never end learning. Um, and, and it's very interesting, but um, most it's very little people doing mezcal, but at the same time wanting to understand it from different perspectives. Right. Not only as a ritualistic or as a delicious spirit that is mysterious and obscure, that you go to a little place in the middle of nowhere and you buy it and repack it and resell it. Right. I mean, I think that's how mezcal was originally introduced in the world, like, like, adventures trying to share these experiences right. but but never getting involved in the production of it no it's almost like it's strange we're consumers right and we never go back to think well where does our food come from exactly. where does this bottle come from and you have been a conduit for mexico you've been a spokesman for mezcal and do you feel like people are listening now i really think the the there's a special moment in the world right now where People is really wanting to to understand where they're coming from and yeah. what is really valuable and what is not. I think after the 2009 crisis, where where I think the entire world were finally clear that the the, 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 the big products and the big companies were not synonymous of quality and were not synonymous of were actually sometimes the country. Yeah. So I think right now people relate to their to their own persona through products that, that, that have a much more meaningful origin and yeah. a meaningful ex offers a meaningful experience. Sure. And in that sense, Mezcal uh, is an is a incredibly attractive product. And the same has happened with the food. Right. You know? 
Oh, uh, again, we're talking about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's this interest that is a global global trend. Uh, aspects like sustainability or or the, the the opportunity to taste flavors that are uncommon to you. Uh, I right. think that the spirit industry in the last 50 years, 60 years, since after Second World War, they took the concepts of quality as consistency. Sure. And and they forgot that alcohol is an agronomical product. They they started to think it's an industrial, it's a product where it doesn't matter where the raw materials come from, and it's right. absolutely wrong. And uh, they started to simplify spirits and products to make it as simple as they can, and just at the end, add the flavors they wanted. Yeah. So the idea that it's much better to provide the same experience every time, that's hierarchically for most large companies more important than provided the best possible flavor on each bottle right. they sell. The most Even complex. if you can't make the same money. Even if right. there's some sacrifice that's of consistency. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is something that, that, um, that has to come back. I mean, only very few countries, specifically France and Italy, just after Second World War, they realized that their entire economy uh, deserved to recognize artisanal products. Right. I mean, the, the Ministry of, of Economy and Commerce is a minister of art, artisanal products, too. And it's in the same, sure. the, the office is economy and craft, let's yeah, say. Right, that, right. That's the name in Italy. And when you look what we consume from Italy, we actually consume that origin. Yeah. And you can think almost more than anything else, right? Yeah, exactly. The cheese, the wine, the meat. Everything yeah. has a last name. Everything has a, a story. Right. Everything, and and they protect and they care about that. And they are the most. I think probably the guys who make more profit out of their traditional products sure. because they have been able to do that. France is another one that have done it. But places like Mexico and and the developed world, they started to copy it in the eighties. All these McDonald's right. concept that Stamped to be to be successful yeah. was to drink a, a global brand. I mean, I remember drinking Absolute Vodka, and I I, I honestly connected when I was 18. Yeah. like I was suddenly a citizen of the world. You know, <laughs> I was there having it this emotional relationship with something that was present all around the world. That's interesting. And I was feeding my 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 uh, emotion with the experience of yeah. having a global brand. But we are not in the, in the 90s, in the 80s anymore. We are in a new time, in a new moment, where right. people want to travel without going to places. Yeah. You can travel by smelling uh, a, a glass of mezcal uh, and, or through food as sure. well. And, it's and transportative. It, it's unfamiliar. Exactly. This is a good thing, right? Yeah, I, I, to your point, it's nice to experiencing... So What's happening, I think, is people consume, 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 whether it's music, whether it's movies, but it becomes so homogenized. I mean, there's so, so many superhero movies, just for instance. It's really safe, yes. and you know what you're going to get. Yes. But it's causing a backlash and a little bit of a vacuum for people like you and I, and even younger people getting out of academia. They're saying, no, I want to curate my own experience. I want to explore. And mezcal is the perfect topic and the perfect place for people to find their deep interest in the world and people that make such products. Exactly, and I think these introvertive uh, emotional connections to a product like Mezcal, now I think is what is really driving the authenticity yeah. of, of, of the experience. And, and I am really happy. I think uh, for me right now to, 
to have the opportunity to dedicate my time to create spirits and to and to create teams of people yeah. and to have liaisons like I do with the producers of Monte of Montelobos, uh, Don Abel and Don Aron in the Oaxaca and Puebla places, uh, but also other new things like what we had been doing with Ancho Reyes and yeah. things. It's an incredible moment. It's a, a possibility to do something I enjoy, but it's fantastic to have a market, yeah. to know that the world is open and ready to enjoy new experiences that has that has uh, fundamentals, right. that has an origin. That Fewer has obstacles than ever, too, which is great. The world's flat more than it ever has been Yeah, because everybody's connected. So we're looking at these three amazing mascales before us, the three kids in the Montalobos family. Let's start with Guadalajara and you as a yes. kid. And let's yes. sip the Espadine and just tell me a little bit about Espadine, obviously one of the most accessible, one of the most ubiquitous types of mezcal. But tell me, this is a Oaxacan Espadine? This is a Oaxacan Espadine made with organic agave uh, coming from the Tlacolula region. So Tlacolula uh, is in, in the Central Valleys. It's oh. like a very high um, plain with, between mountains uh, from the Sierra Madre. Or, or Sierra Madre, in, yeah. In, 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 in Mexico, in a very unique space. Oaxaca is where the Atlantic and the Pacific get closer yeah. in, the, in North America. So, and also the mountains from the Sierra Madre Occidental and the Sierra Madre Oriental, they get really messy. They just stuck together. Right. So Oaxaca has a, a, a lot of, of, of environments a lot of diversity, yeah. that's why the, 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 you have the, most of the diversity of agaves based there. And culturally also, 13 different languages being spoken, sure. you have so much there. And, and the region that is most famous for its agave and its mezcal is the Tlacolula district, that has different municipalities, some are hanging from the mountains and some are in the, in the plain. Right. So we, we do this in Loma Larga, in a ranch that is like 15 minutes away from Matatlan town, but it's within the Matatlan district. Uh, we build the distillery uh, with the Lopez family. Uh, in 2013, we started, and 2014, we totally moved. We originally, Montelobos Espadín, born in uh, Old Palenque, oh. the, the Lopez family had. But we decided to move. We were next to the uh, road yeah. in Matatlan City, and the water wasn't that good anymore gotcha. okay. because it's well water, but it's quite polluted. Yeah. Uh, they decided to make this silly expansion of the road, uh, and we were not comfortable anymore. So we better went to the middle of nowhere. Sometimes we are surrounded with place. agaves, yeah. and it feels it feels it feels like. T like mezcal. T tell me, so someone that hasn't been to that particular palenque or other people that might be listening, what's a, what are a few words that can help them be transported to this place, this beautiful So it's, it's a place in which you are surrounded with chains of mountains and you have the, the right perspective. They are not so far, you, you will not notice them, but also not so close that they are impairing you to, to see through through the entire view. Right. Um, and is is. Is, well, we are surrounded with the agaves we also consume there. Like yeah. Loma Larga is a ranch for growing agave mostly. And it's beautiful. And it's very beautiful. Yes. Green, lush. Very green. Because depending on the seasons, well, uh, the, that region in Oaxaca is semi-arid. Yeah. So eight months of the year is very dry. And four months is extremely green when gotcha. it rains. And the, the soil is, uh, is, is 
let water to come through. And in fact, there's lots of water below below surface. Yeah. If you just dig four or five meters where we are, you get water. But in the surface, it can be extremely dry. Amazing. So you have trees that are super green, but weed is totally dry. It's, it's like, it looks sometimes like Italy, like yeah. when you are in the like the countryside of Italy, what is in your mind, yeah. it's kind of like that. So what does this taste like to you? So this Spadin wants to bring in a lot of balance herbaceousness, which is one of the incredible characteristics of the agave plant, the sweetness, the caramelic sweetness of the agave, the smoke, and of course the funkiness that wild fermentations bring. Mm. So for me, and, and the, the purpose of this mezcal was to try to bring in a very accessible way this complexity of this different group of flavors. So for me, the smell, for example, of Montelobos is like being in a forest after some rain comes down. It's like, yeah. It smells humid, like yeah. wet soil, but also like if the conifers were releasing their aromas in, right. into your face. A big plant orgy, Yvonne. Huh? A big plant orgy. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, and also has some smoke. But it's like, it feels like wilderness. It does. Like, like really... It takes me to a place that's outside of this go. city, Metropolitan. Yes. So as we sip this, your interest, or at least your relationship with agave, starts early on. Your father, now, I, I never could un understand or find out exactly what his relationship was to agave, but he worked in that industry? Yeah, well, my father did. He was very entrepreneurial, let's say, through his life. He got into... Um, establishing tilapia farms at some point oh, and really? he moved to different things but he was probably the first one to to start to develop the industry of the agave nectar really in fact his company used to be called uh industrias colibrias or the colibri company and he was the first one to call the sweet uh ag sugars yeah. of agave nectar because of the idea of the colibri going to that's sip amazing out and this was 1990, where my... No one knew about my, this stuff. There was a, a professor in the Universidad de Guadalajara with a patent, and he started to, to develop that project. Um, and he, he, he was one of the biggest promoters of that industry early on. Wow. Um, so I was close because of that. But also, I had an uncle that, that uh, developed a brand of tequila at that time. Still around? Uh, no, no, the brand... No, no, no. What with other friends... Uh, but uh, was a weird development. The, the brand had a different name, but at the end they make a deal with a football team, their Chivas. Oh, really? And they brought this tequila called Chivas Campionissimo. That eventually they kill it for obvious reason. If you have a sport team, you don't want a tequila linked to that. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, I don't think it might be considered a performance-enhancing drug. I know mezcal helps. <laughs> I often feel better and that I'm doing a better job. So, you know, already yeah. this mezcal, the first one, has helped me out here. And well, when I at the beginning, my relationship with agave that wasn't that obvious, really. I, I, I it was I mean, around. It, it, but it's like easy to be in Guadalajara and yeah. connect to something related with agave sure. because tequila is such a big industry. And and I mean, my, my family has been in, in Jalisco for generations, so so it was a normal thing. But I just realized the interest of that plant a few years after. Yeah. Um, well, I was into conservation really strongly since I was 14, traveling right. the world. Which actually, so here's the interesting thing, going back to the duality, the creative piece and the very scientific forward mind. Early on, were you, had, did you have a proclivity towards one or the other? Did you go into academia because it was easier? Was it an expectation or was it really, truly your main interest? I think I wanted, 
I was always attracted by the, the even when I was really young, yeah. by the academic conception. Yeah. You know, the, seeing these beautiful old buildings with peop, clever people. Right. I mean, I was attracted to, to that, and I wanted to experience that since I was seven years old. Amazing. So the, the, the cachet or the, the elegance yeah. that at that time, that, that photograph brought to me, I remember like seeing movies like um, uh, The Dead Poet Society or things say like that. that. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like totally amazed or saying, I want this color hair yeah. surrounding me. So I think some of the Im it's, it's imagination, a, yeah. those images create. Romance. Romance was yeah. stuck with me. But what to study? I, had, I was between economy and biology at some point. I fell in love with, uh, with nature through yeah. my teenage times. I, I work in national parks in Ecuador, in Chile, in, yeah, in, right. in California, in Mexico, many from Chiapas to uh, Tabasco, Yucatan. All my summers, I didn't earn money, but I put my time for free in exchange of food and, and, and ice right. place. So I started first as a volunteer by myself, and eventually I became a a group leader yeah and i started to travel the, then is when i started to go to chile because i was i was like leading conservation people and camping and doing this stuff right. um and that's when i started to put biology in my mind more strongly so why and i love montreal i yeah. love it i hear there's a, i'm not going to talk about it online but there are beautiful women in montreal they are they're all brunettes too which is, yes. it really does appeal to me <laughs> and I, I was going to ask you you know being Having this romantic relationship with academia, but Dead Poets Society is a brilliant example. Yeah. Or back to school, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but was that part of it? The romance of meeting that the poetic woman that just drives you mad and you're like, I can't stand you, but I love you. Was that yeah. piece of it too? Well, I think I had a couple of those relationships through my life, for yeah. sure. Um, so I've been in love with someone almost systematically. So I'm like a, <laughs> what would say, a serial monogamer, if yes, you want yeah. to say. But that's okay. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So I like to focus. I get very deep into what yeah. is actually happening in a particular moment. But what I would say is, um, yeah, I mean, Montreal was, uh, was the last year of the, the degree, the oh, bachelor degree. Okay. So uh, I, I studied in Mexico. I studied in, in Barbados, in Canada, and in Chile as well. Amazing. I came back to Chile because I fell in love with a girl, imagine. Yeah. Well, I used to <laughs> fell in love with, with women quite often. But one at a time, oh, good. most of the time. Well, you, I mean, you're a busy guy. Yeah. It really helps to just one at a time. Much and, um, and that is when I discover I'm passionate about understanding how plants cope with difficulties. It's in Montreal with an Indian teacher that I took plant and stress uh, course. So I was wow. studying how plants feel, sense, but at the cellular level. So it's very weird. The, the plants cannot move, so they, they cannot avoid... Uh, their their threats. Their threats. Right. They they have to in a very sane way find solutions from the inside out. So the plasticity of the biochemistry of plants within the organisms that exist is in incredible. I mean, right. a plant has a lot of solutions to difficulties. And I was studying that in Montreal, and I got very clear that I wanted to understood better this mechanism, how plants can solve these things. What's beautiful? It's a stoicism. In a sense, right? Plants Absolutely. can't move, but it is a, it's a way of keeping your head up and carrying on. It is almost an analogy for how we, as people, 
have to endure things that we don't want to endure. And sometimes lashing out is the wrong thing to do. So in other words, we can learn a lot from the plants. And if you want another metaphor I like a lot, in a way is they are stoic, they don't move, but they are the most flexible things. So it's how can you be absolutely open to all possible solutions yeah. without really moving? So uh, it's not avoiding, it's like, like accepting, embracing. kind of embracing yeah. Yeah, what yeah. you have. And, and well, metabolically, well, basically our metabolism is a certain rules of things, a certain order your organism has to, to, to maintain a flow of energy and matter that yeah. keep life alive. It's um, if something can be bended and changed in plants in a way doesn't happen with mammals like with us. We have to right. be in a very static temperature in a very specific condition. So even though plants may look boring because you cannot see physical movement, in terms of their metabolism, they are surprisingly powerful and surprisingly changing uh, machines. And, and that's what hooked me. And you I decided to make a PhD on, on that. Not a bad deal. It sounds like a pretty good field. And you used the word Zen the other yeah. day, or rather just earlier. Uh, you're familiar with George Harrison of the Beatles, right? <laughs> yeah. I've been watching the documentary about his life, okay. and he found this moment, the Maharishi and the, the rest of the guys, you know, John and he, specifically John Lennon, they realized that it was just about staying in the same place and meditating, right? Mm -hmm. Letting it all in and adapting as it kind of hits you. And it's strange how plants, in a sense, we can aspire to be more like that. Completely. That they're... Some s in some sense, a guy. The only way to stand and stay is to be flexible. That, that's so strange, really though, isn't it? There's no way to stand and, and be rigid right. about things. You really have to bend yeah. and to adapt yourself. And, to, and that's really why, in a way, the, my model plant when I went to the PhD was at the end agave. Yeah. Different I went to the plant stress unit in the University of Sussex. I arrived in not the best time, honestly, because well, that, yeah. it, it was a department extremely with a lot of, um, of uh, credentials and, and like very well known yeah. through the 70s, the 80s and the 90s. But I was arriving just after a big American university bought half of the professors of the unit. So, mm. And this happened when I was already accepted. Uh, I said no to go to McGill that I, I have a, I was studying there, but I love it and it's a great university. And I had also this desire of living in the UK. I think the same kind of romanticism <laughs> of the dead. So I still have that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I said, no, let's, I already lived in Canada. That is, uh, I want to go to, to the yeah. UK, to, to England. Um, so when I get there, there wasn't as good as it used, used to be in terms of academic, um, like yeah, talk shop guys right, or whatever. Right. But the great thing, and that's great of the, of the way you do PhDs in the, in, in the UK, is that you become your own boss much more than here. Here you have teams, and, right. and you're doing a PhD, but you have an, an advisor or a supervisor that is above you, that kind of choose your subjects. There was like, welcome, here's your chair, here's your office. You have six months to tell me what you're going to be doing in the next four or five years. Yeah. And, and through that, I went to all possible projects already running in the university and nothing was really what I wanted. And then is when it comes to my mind, look, if you're going to study this beautiful uh, romantic information and, and the way plants can actually cope with difficulties, at least choose something that is useful and is close to your heart and close sure. to your country. So instead of, of studying, I don't know, carnivorous plants, they were 
people. They're but exciting, they are, but <laughs> yeah, they, they they don't have minerals where they grow, so they have to obtain the minerals from the flies they yeah. trap. They don't really eat them; they only obtain the minerals. Uh, or other projects they were studying resurrection plants. These things you get in the westerns. They, these plants the are both running yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. You know, those things can be in draw for 50 years, and then some water falls out and they get green again. Oh, that's crazy. So, um, but all of that was not that attractive in terms of and how that translates to the everyday life of people. Yeah. So I proposed to study agave, and they said yes, and was not very surprising. One of the good things of not being uh, or having a supervisor was the chance I had to decide my own destiny, right. yeah. academic destiny, let's say. So uh, I spent a lot of time bringing agaves into the UK, which was a crazy thing. Almost three tons hard? of a life. Huh? How well, hard is that getting that past well, customs? Let me, let me tell you, I thought it would be incredibly hard because yeah. I said, come on, blue agaves should be super protected. Right, right. You know? um, it was more harder to getting in than getting out. Mm -hmm. Getting it out, I just had to go to a, a, a government office, so they checked there were no pests on the plants. And just like onions, I was able to bring <laughs> these agaves out of, of Mexico. It was crazy. Wow. But to get them in, the DEFRA office, I still remember, I was dealing with the with with office in the UK that deals with imports of exotic plants. Yeah. I had to prove that agave couldn't spread like crazy in the wild. Invasive species. And I say, of course not. This place is so rainy, they will die. Uh, in really, really fast with the cold weather, yeah. the lack of sunshine and the humidity. And eventually they say, okay, no problem, you can bring them in. Um, and I had to, I became a, a mason, a builder, because I had to, I didn't have much money to hire who to build the space for the agave. So I had to, to create all the beds where all my agaves were seated there on for campus? many years. On campus? Right. So I got a big greenhouse. My plants used to live better than me, my friend. I, I was in a <laughs> hole in a tiny little Victorian, uh, Victorian house in, 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 uh, in Brighton. Brighton yeah. you know? um, later on, I was able to move a few, few floors above, thanks God. But <laughs> I think the agave are thanking you now, though. They're, uh, saying, well, they're paying it back. They're yeah, they're, it like, he, took, he, took, he took 100%. pretty good care. It's all karmic, right? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, well, I was able to bring all these plants, but for the first year... The job was to ensure the agaves were okay again because uh, the operation was complicated. We went to Arandas and we took these two and a half tons of alive agaves of two different ages. And in less than 24 hours, I was picking them up in the Gatwick airport in a van. But they came harmed because some leaves had to go away, oh, yeah. the normal thing. So one year was about making those plants to come back in this greenhouse with artificial lambs did it work they work well all my, my entire phd is based on the information i got from studying the metabolisms of sugars in this in these plants that's amazing so they gave me a a lot at the end of the day but i also had to take care of them i was like healing them and watering them and <laughs> i was really my next after being a mason i became a gardener and i was saying but i came here to be a scientist what's happening you know you get really stressed when you are doing Eventually, I took more serious the analytical part, and, and I was then doing proper science. But well, that's good. So when you, you finish, because all right, that's actually kind of an exciting story. It reminds me of the Martians a little bit, a guy's trying to grow potatoes on Mars, you're trying to grow a guy in England. <laughs> it's a worthy pursuit. No, I, I, and I had for first time my five minutes of fame, because the, the, the local news learned this crazy Mexican was... <laughs> 
bringing agaves from Mexico <laughs> to study agaves in Britain, which is the worst place to, right, to right. be an agave, let's say. Who does so he think he is? The BBC and ITV News, and they went to, and I was feeling $1 million, you can imagine. They, <laughs> they started to make me questions in the lab, and I was going to be the, the weird, uh, the, the fun element in the, in the night, right, night news, right, yeah. you know? So I remember after they came and interviewed me, I'm ready to see in ITV News, uh, and I get so sad and disappointed because they... They took a photograph of me, or let's say not a photo, a small, tiny uh -huh. shot of me with my white coat taking care of the agaves, and then people making shots in the bar, and I was like, Oh, come on. I am trying to understand the core questions of the understand? biology of the agave, and you are mixing <laughs> with these drunk people. And honestly, through my entire PhD, I never thought my job later on would be to distill spirits. Yeah. I mean, until there... Then I was really thinking, oh no, I would love to teach and to do research and to, and you know, and I liked it a lot, but I was lacking of certain social element and certain level of creativity, the opportunity to break the rules, right? Because it can be very squarish the life of the academy. Absolutely. So, when I finished the PhD, I was between going to Switzerland for a postdoc or accepting a job in the industry, and and suddenly this PhD young guy gets into the corporate world, which was, for me, is like my second PhD. Okay. And my... my Pernod Pern Ricard, right? With Pernod Ricard. Yeah. I started in the research and lab, uh, uh, R&D lab, and I ended as like the technical guy in charge of the four distilleries, 84 engineers under, under my side, until I got bored because I was not able to do any interesting thing right. anymore. <laughs> so, as we sip... The second child, the yes. Tobala, which is the near present, we'll call it. We've talked about the past, the near present, and then we talk about the future with the ensemble, which we're really looking forward to trying. The first time, well, first off, give me. That's yours. Yeah. I'm lucky enough to secure <laughs> Tobala. Thank you so much, Yvonne. You're this is just hitting. This is just new to the market in Texas, especially. So, what are some of the things you really love about the Tobala? Well, this Tobala was. Um, complex process because um, well first the thing I love more is this is cultivated tolvala yeah. again yeah. I, I was Montelobos we, I was restricting myself to bring new expressions because I was not able to find uh, cultivated agaves from right. other varieties and, and well Aaron as I mentioned it I think already uh, Aaron who is a producer I'm making this Aaron Alba uh, was a visionary who started to plant tovalas since 2000. Amazing. And right now he has the largest plantations of Tobala in the world. Of course, well, the Did world of Agave is Mexico. Did he see it coming? The, what, what is ultimately the product? Like His father used to make mezcal, but from the wild. And Puebla was a region where almost all mezcal was coming from the wild. Mm -hmm. and, and they finish it. Oh, so geez. they stopped making mezcal. Oh, wow. And uh, the only way to bring back the, the, the image of his father making the mezcal uh, was to to make more agave to in order to actually make mezcal. Wow. So he 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 started to invest and to research about how to bring these tiny little seeds into little plants and eventually plant them back in the in the hills. And and he has explored from semi cultivation that is only wait until the plant is certain size so it can survive and, and placing it in in a in a hill. Right. To more 
cultivator ones in which you take more care of the plants through time. You see, so he is the Ivan, the, the agave father, taking care of those plants like you were in Brighton. Exactly, in a totally different proportion, dimension, right. and everything. Do you guys but learn I, a lot I from each other? Sorry? Like, do you learn a lot from each other being in that relatively same position that you were years ago? Do you learn things about how to plant? Things Absolutely. Work? I mean, I honestly, I think I understand the biology of the plant really well, but I mean, these guys are growers of agaves. I mean, yeah. I know I, I have learned and everything, but I have never been in charge of taking care of five hectares or, you know, this right. it's, it's a different level of knowledge. And also it's a lot of, of, of knowledge of the environment, of the soil, of the place that yeah. you don't get easily. You have to... You Years, to, right? Yeah. To be part of, of the lineage of, yeah. the, of the place. So I love that. And the purpose of this mezcal was really to, to twist a little bit the methods uh, they use in Puebla to bring a very in-front agave. It's super green. Yeah, the nose is really Super sweet. It's about yeah. the sweetness and the herbaceousness. And, and it's, a, it's an agave that has lots of fat as well. Fat? Yeah, it's really? a lot of wax. The agave has to protect themselves to losing the water they accumulate. So, so the way they do is they have a layer of wax all around the external surface and, and they produce lots of oils and waxes to not let water to escape. No so kidding. Certain agaves that are very stressed, uh, another agave that is really oily is agave dur uh, durangensis, for example. Okay, okay. That is really, really, really oily. Uh, has this quality. So for me, this gives like certain notes of macadamia or or not the, 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 the grease, yeah. the fat that you can actually get oh, amazing. In, in the spirit. And again, the, the, the anise, uh, the very green, like pear, you can get pear as well. It's mm. very, very green. And, uh, and the, the, the entire process of making these tobalais about letting like the experience of the agave to come forward. So the smoke is very subtle. Mm. Uh, the proof is also higher, it's like 47 ABV. So, so the, the higher a mezcal is, the higher proof it is, less smoke you generally feel. Yeah. It's related to the other flavors are much more enhanced by that proof. So smoke is not that strong. Um, also, the funkiness of it is a little bit hidden because really the plant is talking. Is the, is the, yeah, the I don't get any lactic cheesiness, right? This yeah. is beautiful. So the, one of the things you get from Puebla specifically, because many or rather two of the mezcals that I've had from Puebla they're single distillation. Is this right. also no, twice? No, this is two distillation. See, that's interesting in public because they use the Filipino style still and they do the single rectification and then it has but a little you, bit. What you tried was in made in a tiny artisanal column probably yes, or not. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. So yeah. column, it, when you use plates in columns, you could kind of equalize that every plate of, yeah. correspond to one distillation. It's right. probably exaggerated, at least half distillation. Yeah. So uh, a, a four plate uh, steel yeah. or column will will kind of make you a two distillation product no it's a good it's a good point i this just to me i sometimes the lactic and the cheesy quality which comes from sometimes letting the agave out too long after you've roasted it and then these kind of fungus or whatever come back here this has this is beautiful because this is bright tight round and unctuous it doesn't give me any of that funk like no. you're saying and i it's love you mentioning that because on the third you go, you're going to discover a lot <laughs> of that and i'm going to explain you why later but also all those flavors comes at a certain point in distillation mm -hmm. so the tails which is the last bit where alcohol is is coming lower 
uh, water is, is, is in a larger proportion. The temperature of the steel can get higher, higher temperature. So right. the boiling, the, the, the things that comes out are elements that have a boiling point that is a, a little bit higher yeah. and that are, have more link with water than with alcohol, let's say, is where you get these cheesy notes. So Absolutely. the smoke and the funk, a lot of the funkiness of wild fermentation like uh, the very fruity esters and the and the cheesy elements comes at the tail. The cold, this right? is a very um, high hearted let's so say high proof. Yeah. We cut this at sixty two ABB and then oh, we proof then it down with water. God, so it's okay. it's a very it's very tight specific yeah. cut is the heart and, and the higher part of it. But right. we don't get the, the but I keep it and then I use it for the second. So all the tail so you're blending you it are, back in. The tail, the colas. Well, in, we're gonna talk about the third later oh, on. The third is a is a mixture of of cupriata and espadín mostly yeah. that we cook together and, and ferment together and distill together. But then it also have a third element, which is the tails of this one that I'm not using. <laughs> and all that cheesiness yes. you are talking, you're gonna discover it in the in the in the next uh, mezcal. I feel like the Christmas ghosts remember that go to the yes. past, the present, and the future. So when we are talking to the future ghosts, yeah. we will talk about the cheesiness again. Well, <laughs> here's the great thing. So you, I, I like this. I love music and I love performing. And in a way, having a room hinge on your every educated word, is, is a, there's an allure to that, this yeah. element of performance. You were just in Dallas. You're in San Antonio tomorrow and probably throughout the weekend. As a performer, as a creative mind, how do you like being in front of the audience? Those questions, the inquisitive looks. Well, I, I, I love, and that's one of the, I mean, the type of questions you make is going to make this, this interview one of the most memorable I have had in a long time. I'm because, so glad to hear that. Uh, in the marketing world, generally questions just go to a certain point most of the time. You yeah. know? And, yeah. um, and, well, and, and sometimes brands want to... Uh, give the message of what the product is and, and the key element that everybody will remember. So the differentiating they will, factor. They will, yeah, yeah right. will buy. So, and I think most of the time, the, the, the journalist that covers uh, spirits, and they are looking for that bite of information, but right. they are not getting further, neither in the story of the maker or... And, uh, and, and just like that, when I have the chance to make seminars, we're going to have a seminar later on. Yeah. I enjoy when people comes a little bit out of the typical line. I mean, not only like, oh, and where your agave is coming from? Or what's the material of your steel? Well, those things sound very nerdy, but are really questions you would expect, yeah. you know? But when people, people make more complicated questions, things that are not, um, uh, many, many things that are not even scientific, that are like, oh, why mezcals make me feel like this? Or, or, or if, if you don't have an answer, what would be an answer if you had to, que to, to answer that? Yeah. Those things I love. You like you it. Know? And, and I think I love to talk to consumers. I like bartenders, but bartenders, when you come to small, medium-sized cities where they know each other, they are performing too. That's right. You're <laughs> so a, a br that is a brilliant thing. You're, you're absolutely right. It's pretentious. Yeah, so you are the performing, but they are performing. So if they make a question or they don't make a question... Is is also a relationship with the role and the image they they want to 
present to their other peers. That's you know? an astu- that's It's the same in the academic world. You're that right. We tell well, you. That's how you can pick yeah, it out, right? Like, you, like yeah. you were going to a conference and yeah. you knew who would make what question, and, and there was a professor with this research that for sure he would pull the thing into. That's a respectable thing. But right. when you talk to consumers that are really passionate and they are really thirsty of knowledge and they, they don't need to, to, I mean, they make their money and they, they, their persona and their um, uh, self-confidence is not coming from their peers. Um, really, uh, it's, it's, I enjoy it a lot. I like Are more it. honest, simple questions that you never get nervous, that I love. right? Huh? You ever get nervous? I, no, not at this point. Uh, I think one of the skills you learn in academia is to expose yourself to yeah. sa- sharing ideas or information and then, and, and then hearing back. Uh, in academia, it's even tougher because even though you're supposed to obtain information through science, you are questioned all the time. Yeah. So it's, it's everything you're you say is that. available to be questioned. And, and, but yeah, no, I think I'm, I feel quite comfortable talking oh I, I could tell and you're an author i mean you you've, you've been in front of crowds no it's nothing new for you no you know it could be boring or exciting that's exactly right I mean, that's actually reflective of the audience itself yeah, sometimes absolutely. Right? they help that performance so while we're still in the present before we talk about your being here in austin and perhaps the class you'll be facilitating in san antonio this weekend what inspires you as a man that is both scientific and creative is it music is it art is it people what helps you get to a place where you're inspired where you can be creative okay so you basically are saying which elements in my context will put me in the mood or will that's well let's say let's say you're struggling let's say you're Ernest Hemingway and you're in your writing room and you're you know you got another novel in you and you're trying to find something that will keep traveling I mean I think uh, food yeah, I mean, I really get a lot about tasting and smelling things, um, traveling, and I love to talk about anything. <laughs> so, I think the metaphoric, a lot of the creativity I have done in my life is it comes a lot. I think in 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 trying to reflect a metaphor of something, but yeah. in, in in the world of flavors, like sometimes you want liquids that has two things are are fighting against each other yeah. or that complements or I think those those things are really amazing and also uh, I get really inspired in creating or working with spirits on the on the agricultural side mm. or where the place where the plants coming out that is the most exciting thing to find the growers of of the raw materials yeah. you use like I know we're talking Montelobos but for Ancho Go and discover uh, Don Saul, who is the man who grows every single chili we use in Ancho Reyes. The process of the adventure of getting into the car in tiny little towns and talk with growers to select which one is going to be the one, that that is very exciting, the human element of it. So I think that's what what really feeds the the mood for for creativity. I love that. Yeah. Well, before we talk, I want to make this comment. The Ancho Reyes Verde is one of the greatest things. Oh, thank you. It's an <laughs> incredible compliment, the one you are giving. I can use it in my eggs, and it is a beautiful <laughs> fucking thing. You like a sauce. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Because yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's got everything you want, subtle sweetness, the fresh crispness, the green, the vegetal 
poblano flavor. Yeah. It's it is a wet dream for chili heads, and I every time someone comes over, I've got it in the freezer because it's, it has this interesting texture when you freeze. You know, when you, it's in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I hand it to somebody and say, just sip this. It's wonderful. It'll pique the interest in your mind, amuse bouche, if you will, and they love it every time. It is a great conversation piece. So thank you for that. Oh, thank. No. If nothing else, it's 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 a teamwork. Uh, I would say verde is um is is really a product that uh, that came out. Well, it's it's a second ancho, but it's it's a product of a lot of experiences and uh, the incredible nose that works with me, Guadalupe. Yeah. I have to say it, Lupita. Uh, She's much even, it's even better in analyzing with the nose things. Amazing. And uh, it's, a, it's really in a great way her product. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a lovely thing. It resonates, man. I mean, it's, it's a hit. It may yeah, be underground, you. but it's something that people are listening to and they're putting on that turntable and they're enjoying in their house. It's an amazing thing. So talking about why you're here in Austin to discuss Montalobas and Las Perlas here in Austin, Texas, we're going to talk about the future. We have a few minutes left. You're about to hit the stage. You know, yeah, Camille's kind of tapping her watch. We're going to talk about the ensemble. As you mentioned, you're already blending the colas from the Tobala. First, I have to say that right now, well, oh, Padini right. is in the U.S. Yeah. Tobala will be very soon. Uh, we expect to launch middle this year. Uh, an ensemble doesn't have a date to be launched in the U.S. yet. So this is... It's in, it's in the market in Mexico already. Right. But, let's, but we don't know when we're going to have it available you know in the that U.S. My mouth's watering, and I'm actually here. I have the privilege of getting to try yeah. this. But for everybody that's listening, this will come. We don't know when. Yeah. But it is but another it's, expression. It's a reality. It's ex it it is a reality. <laughs> you can buy it in Mexico, and eventually you will buy it here in the U.S. That's incredible. Um, so so tell me about the blend. Yeah. So it, it's the first time I make a mezcal that makes different agaves. And it has been a, a wonderful experience because you have a, a, a good degree of chances of, of controlling the, the experience. Yeah. So different agaves provide different things. Cupriata is a very vegetal agave, so you get uh, a, 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 a intense vegetal citrusy that that uh, you can trap there. Um, Espadín brings a lot of the sweetness. Right. Um, but also this product is about funkiness. This is the <laughs> one where I allowed myself uh, the chance to to bring notes that that are more weird or yeah. more funkiness funky, i say. like that zappa frank zappa i use that analogy a lot it's a concept record for you you're okay. going out on a limb you're trying something new yeah. sergeant peppers maybe right <laughs> so it's it's very savory it's very mineral yeah it's it's green as well but it has a strong presence of the of the lactic fermentative side what's the proof on this guy oh uh, this is 45, 45. ABV. okay cool yeah First time trying this one. I've had the other two. This is really... Perfect. And it has Cupriata and Espadín and then the Tobala. Mm. But what I'm adding there is the, most, the more acidic tail fraction, the last fraction mm -hmm. that comes of the steel that I decided not to include here, I am including in, in this other one. And this more raw, savory, oh. acidic element <laughs> um, is here. It's very earthy uh, and... and it's probably not from the tree. This is may, maybe not the starting point for someone who doesn't know mezcal. Right. This may require a little bit more of a, of a palate that is open to, to... That's exciting, though. I mean, I almost get a little mint. I love that kind of illusion yeah. of mint sometimes. It's brilliant. I mean, this is a very... It's a thinker, but it's still very enjoyable. Sometimes it can be too polarizing, too much cheese. 
Yeah. Too much acidity. No, it's still, this is beautiful. Yeah. You, you, you clearly can see it. But this is, this is the resolution, let's say. The way I like, if, if this were a printing, yeah. for, for, photograph, printed photograph, right, right. I like a lot the detail. So you can have a lot of flavors going on, but you need to give it some time and space so you can really um, find it in a defined way, in a resolute way. Yeah. So this product has a lactic thing. But also has a sweetness, but also, and you can put your attention on things. It's not the mix of everything. It, it something happens first, and then something else happens after. Yeah. So it allows you to to um, separate the different flavors while you're tasting it, and I think it's cool. It's clearly much more fermentative, but that yeah. that doesn't overlap and let the, everything else out of the of the equation. Each you still can right. they each have their place in exactly. the narrative, absolutely, and it, and it is an evolution of. The core concept, as I'm sure you have evolved. San Antonio Cocktail Conference is this weekend, and I've got two questions left for you. You're going to, again, I hear the drum roll. You're about to hit the, yeah. the stage. <laughs> What's, what are we in store for the seminar at the San Antonio Cocktail Conference this year? Well, in the seminar, I'm a participant. I was invited by Ricardo Pico, a dear friend of mine yeah. who is in the, in the entrepreneurship of bringing Sotol into the world. Amazing. And he, they have wonderful products in the Is this Clande brand. Oh yeah, Ricardo, yeah. oh, brilliant guy, yeah. lovely guy. And basically, we're gonna talk about the relevance or not relevance, and the and the Im implications of the nominations of origins in Mexican yeah. spirits. Uh, we'll talk about that. I'm very Mike, critical actually. on on some ways. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna be a little bit technical at some points of, of on the regulations, but the the core idea I think should be to to share with the public. Why a denomination is useful, useful, or why it may not be useful to yeah. maintain an authentic, pure product uh, out there? From you're gonna have Sergio Mendoza, yeah, from, from, uh, Don, from Fulano. Don Fulano, yeah, uh, it's going to be Ricardo, it's gonna be me, and it's gonna be a, a woman, Miriam, yeah, that makes a uh, um, agricultural rum, but in the Mexican style, a charanda. It's a rum, Mexican rum from Michoacan that That's has amazing. a denomination of origin. So the last question, I have no idea how you're going to answer this. I hope that's how this whole conversation has been. You had no idea what I'm going to ask. I love that. It's the yeah. element of surprise, <laughs> right? So you're sipping this ensemble anywhere in the world, and you can sit next to and have a conversation and a mezcal with anybody in the world. Who would you love to just sit there and have a conversation with and sip? It's a very tough question to of answer course it fast, is. but um, <laughs> oof. Probably... Attenborough. Oh my gosh, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. Over the, the bridge over River Kwai, great, great movie, right? Well, there's two Attenborough. Which one are you talking about? Richard Attenborough? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Richard okay. used to be, by the way, the, the, um, uh, like the director of the University of Sussex, but the honorary one. Did he really? Yeah. The director, but Richard Attenborough. Yeah. No, the brother. Oh, the one from the, from, Yeah, the one that makes the... Um, um, how you call that? The nature... Oh, the planet Earth thing? Planet Earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That oh, guy. he's that guy. Yeah. Okay. He's a brother. I didn't realize they are brothers. a brother. And his last name is Attenborough as well. I think you'd learn a lot about everything. Yeah, but he's a, he's a guy... In many ways, I'm a big fan, but he's a guy that, that when he's explaining the science, is really showing the passion. Yeah. And the, the, you very easily understand the, the relevance of what is the words he's saying. Because... Yeah. 
and he has this incredible artistic ability to connect images and, and build stories. And I don't know, he is the ultimate. What he does, showing us the stories of these plants and animals out there, is what I would like to do with every brand I do. Like the coherence, yeah. the logic, and the, the, the deep passions that occur behind everything around it. This is what I think. I mean, I admire that. The ability to understand the context and understand that the context is as important as the as element itself. So, and this is what brands are lacking. A lot of product, but they are not perfect in their surroundings. They are not connected to authentic things. They are, they are not obvious. They are not logical. And yeah. you, we need to make wonderful products that are logical. That is why this hasn't existed before. It was absolutely logical. I think Ancho is an example of that. You know, it's like... It's a very logical thing, and it's sure. really, and I would like to think that uh, I will be able to have the honor to keep bringing from Mexico uh, this type of experiences for the for the, for the world and for my own enjoyment. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's been really a pleasure one to being Mexican with you, two getting to talk about the lovely products and the lovely people and your just checkered past of academia and now entrepreneur with Matalobos and Ancho Reyes. It's brilliant. I don't know what's in store for the class tonight, Las Perlas, but can't wait to see what it's all Thank about. You. And hopefully, thankfully, Camila has made this all happen, and William Grandson's being a wonderful partner, as always. Yeah. Let's connect in San Antonio if we can. Yeah, let's too. go and have a, let's have a mezcal there, too. And we talk, we'll, we'll hang out with Ricardo, too, talk Great. a little bit. So, cool. Yvonne, thank you so much thank for Thank you for the interview. I enjoyed it a lot. Well, there we have it. Dr. Yvonne Saldana, Vancho Reyes, and Montalobos, Mezcal. We sipped the Espadín. And a new ensemble that will be coming out very soon. You know, sipping the mezcal with the man who created it while we talk about his life, there is really no more connective way to have a conversation. I'm glad that we were rolling. I'm glad that we were recording this moment. You know, he just turned 40 last year. And honestly, that's a big milestone. He's done a lot for this industry. He stands as one of the big pillars of innovation, creativity, and preserving heritage. It's an interesting balance because on one end... He wants to preserve the tradition of mezcal, and some people are very, very fast and kind of stubborn about those methods of production, but at the same time, he wants to do new things. It's East meets West, old meets new. I think this is a very important attitude and paradigm to have about mezcal. So thank you so much, Dr. Yvonne Saldana, Camille, Austin, and William Grant and Sons for making this happen. It truly was a remarkable moment for me, and I can't wait to talk to you guys soon. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. I finally started watching the new Queer Eye, and I almost started tearing up after episode one. If you're watching that or if you're thinking, Master Chef, I don't know. Why the fuck do I keep watching this? Sh- I have no idea. Please keep going.